Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and BC here in the second week of January. Dead period about to lift. Recruiting about to fire on all cylinders. 70,000 recruits expected approximately for official visits this upcoming weekend. The Vikings playing for a trip to the NFC Championship game. Brunts. It's Vikings week. It is Vikings That's week. It's what it really is, That's right? That's why we started with you first. Well, I'm excited for Vikings week, I have to say. Does it annoy you when Schaefer and I start our group text and we just go off on Vikings talk for a while sometimes? I assumed you guys just had your separate... I've told you this. You guys just need to have like an NFC North group text and a AL Central group text for the for April through... September. I kind of want to convert you, though, to, to, to make the Vikings like the your team of the NFC. My adopted team yeah, in the, the NFC? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm gonna keep, do it. I'm going to keep working on it. Uh, I think th- I think enough skulls out there can turn a man. It could. I'll tell you what would. If the Vikings played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, you know damn well he'd be rooting for yeah. the Vikings. Or I the might, Chiefs. I might need to borrow that Harrison or Smith. Or the Chiefs. That Harrison that. Smith jersey you've got. I might need to borrow that. <laughs> I'll give you the green way. Okay. But I, if it were the, if they were playing against the Chiefs, absolutely. But that's not a problem that we have to worry about, is it? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start there. How did you feel on uh, Saturday? Saturday afternoon, the Chiefs have the game in hand, 21-3. to And then all of a sudden, they didn't. Uh, if only there were some kind of word in German that this really encapsulated all of the feelings that I had about that that particular moment and taking pride and joy in the misery of others. If only such a word existed, then I could describe how it felt. I'm smiling now. I'm in a much better mood. Thank you. Were you around your extended family, all of which seemed to be Chiefs fans? Uh, no. I'm not. They've they've been okay about. I've never sensed any Denver hostility. I've always kept it kind of toned down, though. I don't know what happened in that game because I was up uh, putting together a record player that I just got and uh, was listening to the Carpenters. Really? <laughs> I saw you tweeted out a picture of that bread album. Yeah. Well, I I needed some records the Carpenters. to Carpenters. Yeah, I needed some records to get going, and sure enough, my mother had a few. And here you are, a couple, so a couple of the classic Carpenters records and uh, Bread, which is a band that I realize I know three or four songs of now, but when I saw it, I and I know my 60s and 70s music okay, but I didn't know there was a band named Bread. I really didn't. Did you know that? Am I stupid on that? Uh, I, knew, I know that, and I, I know that for a very stupid reason, but a similar reason to, to you where I also had a record player a few years ago was short on records and started going through my parents' record collection, and that's when you realize like how tragically unhip your parents are. Like yeah. there was there was some bread, I think there was some nitty gritty dirt band in there, which I mean beyond me. But uh, they had uh, Toto. There was a Toto oh, yeah. album in there, which was okay. I'm gonna tell you something right now. I ain't got no problem with the Carpenters. Yeah. Yeah. Karen Carpenter has such a soothing voice to write to. <laughs> I wrote that uh, defensive backs breakdown a few days ago to Karen Carpenter's that was singing Ka- in the background. Karen Carpenter fueled. <laughs> yeah. So I, I take it you got a record player for Christmas. Um, I did. Yes. So you got a in a span of two weeks, and I texted you this. You got a record player and a NES. Yeah. You're you're. And how, what did I respond? I just said it was a midlife <laughs> crisis. That's all. That's kind of what I was leading you to, but I appreciated that you owned it. I finished off the joke for you. So you figured out the record stores in Lincoln yet? Have you? Uh, I don't know that. Them? I'll be. Ha- if people want to. You haven't tweet been to or Lefties what a- or yeah, any I, of it. I need. I need to get hip to all that. But we can. We can throw that out. People on Twitter, be sure to tweet. Christopherson some record suggestions and potential record purchasing places. Yeah, music that's similar to the Carpenters that I might like. <laughs> so, so now, I mean, do you just kind of like pour yourself a little glass of scotch and go down and put the records on and just listen <laughs> well, there's, quietly? There's another record my parents gave me. It's just stormy music, or it's, it's sound of storms, you know, like the sound of thunder. And it's very peaceful as well to write to, so... <laughs> 
So it's just like 1970s thunderstorms that <laughs> yeah. were recorded. Yeah, this is a a thunderstorm in 1973. It's much different now than the thunderstorms <laughs> of 2018. That's I, all I have about the record player. Uh, I mean, if if you had more, feel free to no, no. Just to share. I, I'm I'll I'll add up a collection of of more high quality records as you, I go. But you have one though, right? I do. Do you have a big vinyl collection? I don't. I uh, had. Is it yours or is it your wife's? It's mine. Um, and I had designs on you know, gonna purchase a bunch of vinyl and find these rare like a bookcase of it. Yeah, like next to the to, next to my big bookcase of books um <laughs> nerdy mcnerderson <laughs> over here but uh i never got around to it now it just sits fallow on my bookcase big record collection bookcase and like npr playing in the background yeah would be uh, just like the po- perfect like, a, little, a little all things considered look maybe. how smart i am <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like that's obviously He's like trying sitting in his like smoking jacket with <laughs> yeah. a pipe. Well, how else do you smoke a pipe? I mean, I don't know. You should only listen to pipe. all things considered with a pipe in your mouth. That's yeah. true. I mean, that is true. <laughs> so, anyway. like, what's your what would you say your most played album is? Uh, I don't even know. It's been like it's been probably four or five years since I've even I, like I couldn't even tell you what I have. Wow. I just bought an Outcast uh, album today, which is kind of funny that it's it in my library now of records. It's right next to Karen Carpenter, nice. as <laughs> as it should be. And I was wondering this the, during the college football playoff halftime. Why was Outcast not performing? Like mm. I have no problem with Kendrick Lamar. I mean, we're we're going way off the reels here, but hey, we're I, actually bringing it closer to football. Yeah, than it I, was. I, we're we're circling. Uh, I mean, you're in Atlanta. Why not Outcast? Like I feel like that would have been well, much done, more well received. They're, they're done dealing, aren't they? Or did, are they making a comeback? Did I miss something? I feel like if you wave enough money in front of them, like a big novelty college football playoff check, you could probably get them out of I retirement. I think Big Boy still performs individually because he came to UNL a couple years ago, and I darn near went to watch Big Boy. I would have gone to Big that. Boy without Andre 3000. Yeah, that's why I didn't go. I thought, well, without Andre, I mean, what am I doing? Just wasting my life. You're getting like half the Beatles there. I could be listening to 70s music right now. <laughs> I want to go back down to my basement <laughs> and listen to some Bread. I don't even think I knew Bread was a band. Now I'm, I'm going to research some Bread songs. Oh. I mean, well, we'll, we'll transition this to <laughs> Nebraska athletics now that we've... Can we've Nebraska any... win big and bring in some Bread? a fair question Brian uh so it's been just uh five days I think since our last podcast there hasn't been a ton in the news but there was one sizable piece of news that that came out of this time period Noah Vedral deciding to transfer back from central Florida to Nebraska where he will be walking on already I believe here I mean, staying here through the, the Christmas holidays, believed to be enrolled at Nebraska, should be a part of the program in the spring. What do you guys make of this move? Well, I mean, I I think it's it's really good for Nebraska football to have a guy in the room who has been through the offense one year. He can't play this year, but I think the fact that, you know, he, he has a, a peer voice that can talk to the other guys and maybe help explain it to them. Um, as somebody who's been through it. And then I just think he's a – I mean, he's a capable guy that Scott Frost has liked ever since Scott Frost was the offensive coordinator at Oregon. That's when they first met each other. Um, Noah Vedral went out to a camp up there and kind of always dreamed of being Marcus Mariota and playing in that type of offense. And he caught Frost's eye by the way he throws the ball, and Frost spent some extra time with him and said, if I ever get the chance, I'd kind of like to – you know, coach you, and it worked out at UCF, and and now it works in Nebraska. The only weird part of this all, and it was in our story, and I'm sure you guys have thoughts on it, is just UCF not allowing him to transfer as a scholarship guy to Nebraska. I thought was a little strange on UCF's part because he is a local kid. I'm sure they didn't want a slippery slope of allowing that with other guys, but I I still thought in this this scenario they probably should have uh, 
let bygones be bygones and just let the let the kid make his move. I didn't have any problem with what UCF chose to do because I I think they can basically just sell it as that you're not going to make an exception for any one person on your roster uh, as you would for for anybody else. And I, I get he grew up you know 25 30 minutes away from Memorial Stadium, so it's an entirely different scenario than somebody like Otis Anderson. But in all honesty, if you didn't put that cap on it, you could see where Nebraska coaches would certainly love to bring some of those players from UCF to Lincoln. And so uh, the Vedrals are in a great position where they're able to make this happen, and it sounds like everybody's fine with it, that they've made their peace with it, and that uh, you know he'll be able to walk on and then ultimately be a scholarship player after a year. Uh, and if that's the sacrifice that, that had to be made, the family was okay with that in order to have the opportunity to continue to play for a staff that they really like. And now to be able to play in front of friends and family at home instead of doing it down in Orlando. So I, I think that it, you know, it worked out well for everybody. You hit on why it's going to be, I think, beneficial for the, uh, the team with him and, and what he can be able to do to help in terms of pass his knowledge of the offense along to the other quarterbacks and potentially the other players. He's one of those guys that, that really intrigues me because I think that in some ways Frost could see parts of himself in Noah Vedral because I think this is a guy that could change positions and play defensive back too. I think he could have played as a safety or something like that if that's what he chose to do instead of being a quarterback. And maybe that's still something that could yeah. happen down the line. I mean, he's a great, great athlete in a variety of sports. He was in high school at Bishop Newman. He was a very good basketball player. Um, you know that – popular spring question of like who would the best five basketball players you like to ask that don't you the guys like yeah, who, who would the best five be no vedral's gonna be like in you that think so? yeah discussion now he's pretty good those guys will not bad on the track either he won a won a state championship it's interesting too i mean you look at just the way that nebraska's quarterback room is put together right now i mean noah vedral is the most experienced quarterback on Nebraska's roster right now. Um, you know, even you know, however metric you, whatever metric you want to look at, I mean, snaps, games played, um, you know, he's got more experience than everybody else there. I mean, he's going to have to sit out, but I mean, to, to have a guy like that as a, you know, a, a running your scout team or, um, you know, really kind of helping that process and bring guys along and learning the offense, I think is a, a really good thing. But, um, you know, I was thought in high school too when he, you know, even after it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to get offered by Mike Riley and uh, that Nebraska staff. I mean, he was still coming to Friday Night Lights camps, um, and I always thought he showed off pretty good touch. On, yeah, he looked really good on his passes. Yeah. Um, I was kind of wondered too if I mean he's obviously a talented athlete, but you know if, if you there's no pressure on you in those situations, um, you know does that help? But you know I always thought he was you know dialed in. Uh, in seven on seven work too. I mean, in, in high school games, I mean, he was always the best athlete on the field. So I think absolutely he's, you know, an intriguing guy and, and somebody that, you know, after he's done with that red shirt year is going to get right in the mix for that quarterback job. Which isn't a surprise. Barrett Rude named the 10th assistant for Nebraska. He'll be coaching the inside linebackers officially uh, became known on Tuesday afternoon no big surprise there, but what do you guys think of the addition of Rude full-time to the staff, uh, moving out of his quality control analyst job and in as a coach for the first time in his career? I really, I mean, I really like it. Uh, he's one of those guys who, you know, when he speaks, players are going to say, this guy did it, you know, and I, I think there's always a benefit to that. He had 432 tackles in his Husker career. Um played in the league and and that always gets people's attention and uh you know you listen to some guys who are around the UCF program like a Dimitri Brim is a guy who played there who we've talked to on our site um and Brim I saw on social media today was saying how you know Rude's one of the best coaches he's been around so he might not have in title been a full-time assistant at UCF but I think everybody down there in Orlando saw him as that and I think Frost and everybody knew whenever they had that opportunity to add another assistant coach, he was definitely the guy, no questions asked. I think, too, it, it, it's an in interesting addition for what he kind of brings on the recruiting trail. I mean, he hasn't really been a 
you know, in that role very much. I mean, he was out on the road uh, before the dead period, and obviously a big part of, of why Will Honus uh, decided to choose Nebraska over uh, Iowa and Wisconsin. But uh, from covering him even back when he was a player, um, just an extremely relatable guy, really easygoing, uh, and, and probably one of those guys that, you know, I, I think yeah, at the time you would – would have said pretty easily that he had a future in coaching ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Like he just, you know, was a guy that that got it. Um, and the fact that you know he is a Nebraska grad, he's from Lincoln. I, I think that'll help um, in, in kind of his ability to sell what's at Nebraska too. Yeah, he's not one of those guys who I'm Barrett Rude. You know, I'm the all-time tackles leader. He he just is very humble. He always was that way. And I'm not going to pretend like I've talked to him a ton of times but I do remember a few times when I was at the newspaper I I did some stories where I would call down uh to try to talk to him he'd be in season with the bucks or something and he's the type of guy who if you had his number and called him on a Wednesday afternoon he'd be like yeah I can do it right now you know and and that's it's very hard to find those guys anymore and that uh, so he's good for us I mean we're going to enjoy Barrett Root being here I think yeah I really don't remember him that much as a player, which sounds weird because it's not like he's that old. And he certainly played after Frost, who I do remember as a player. I just – a lot of those seasons – people are listening to this are going to hate this. A lot of those like, – 2002, 2003, 2004, they all just kind of ran together, as I think most years sort of do when you don't have any delineation points. I mean, 04, obviously, a very large one uh, that is, is different than – other seasons, I just I know that he's an all-time tackles leader. He's a very good inside linebacker. I just I don't have like I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on Barrett Root. I'm very curious to see how he is on the recruiting trail. I know one of the things that um, the coach down at Butler told me and, and Tim Schaffner is that he feels like Root is going to do really well because recruits are going to look at him and see a guy that has done everything that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that when you can see a player like that, especially if you're recruiting linebackers, and it's, oh, this is a guy that played linebacker at Nebraska. This is a guy that you know went to the NFL. This is a guy that went through all of that. And so he knows all the hoops, and he knew how to get through it, and now he's going to coach me. He thought that was as big of a thing for Will Honus as anything else that any school presented him, was simply having a guy like Barrett Root as his – coach would be a really big motivational factor because that's someone you can always go to like he's been through this he's been a a local kid playing in a local school he's been a guy that's trying to make it to the NFL he's been a leader on a team and so I I think that you know I don't know if that's going to work in every situation but at least with linebackers it's certainly going to help when you can have somebody like that and anytime you can point at the NFL and and he was a, a relatively high draft pick, too. And he had a very nice career until injuries sort of piled up for him. Uh, so he's he's got all the background that you would want. Um, and I'll be curious, you know, if he can make a, a pretty quick uh, impact with recruiting, even here still in this 2018 class. You kind of forget how good he was. Like, I, I was going through his bio yesterday after they announced that he, he was going to be coming on officially. And, I mean, obviously that was a known thing, but – you know, he played on kind of some some odd teams where, you know, he, he plays in the 2001 Rose Bowl, which is kind of the, the peak of the – or 2002 Rose Bowl, which is kind of like the peak of Nebraska football in the last two decades. And he, he plays through, you know, the end of the Solich, uh, start of Callahan. It's how good he was and I think how just steady he was kind of gets lost. I mean – he played eight seasons in the NFL and it's just hard to, uh, like you said, they don't really stand out. They just very workmanlike, very, uh, steady. I mean, and, and that's not using any, you know, student of the game, gym rat type things. <laughs> I mean, the guy had, had a lot of talent and it, it's, it's funny. You just, uh, you forget that sometimes. Yeah. And speaking of what Schaefer was saying about, you know, his, his NFL experience impressing people. There's a few guys like that on the staff. I mean, where like Travis Fisher, for example, coaching the defensive backs, another guy who, you know, I feel bad for some of those guys in the Husker secondary because it feels like they get a new coach every week. And 
at least the new guy who's coming in, I mean, he's a guy who was drafted in the second round as a as a defensive back. I mean, that's pretty stinking impressive. And when guys figure that out, and that you know, he had a decent career in the league too. He was there six, seven years, which is pretty good in the NFL anymore. Um, that's going to impress people. Troy Walters is another guy where it's like not just his coaching resume, but I mean, he won the Bolitnikov and uh, things like that. I mean, he he played in the NFL, and so I I do think that sort of stuff matters. That you don't need everybody on the staff to be like that, but if you have a handful of guys who have played on Sundays, uh, that that that's a good deal for you. I mean, they basically you run through their staff list. You have either played in the NFL or coached in the NFL, connections in the NFL. I mean, the one yeah. that that jumps out where you don't is Ryan Held. But even then, he's got all of your junior college connections. And so he's got a ton of value that some of those other coaches don't have because of the connections that he has there. I mean, this staff, you know, for some of the, the concern about it not being – and I love that this is the new term that people use for assistant coaches – the, the mercenaries, uh, when you when you go out and you're Urban Meyer and you're putting together Kevin Wilson, Greg Schiano, Alex Grinch, and all these others, uh, it it is really interesting. They keep them all together, but then you look at their individual pieces, they all have really strong backgrounds. And I don't think mm-hmm. I was aware of that as much when it was pretty well known that Scott Frost was going to be the guy and you're looking at their staff, but... I, I'm impressed with, with some of the backgrounds that they have here, and I'll be curious to see how they're able to use that to their advantage kind of going forward. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think, you know, you had the rest of the, the staff being introduced, and a lot of these guys have been on campus, um, you know, for the last m- couple months or at least going back and forth between uh, Orlando and Lincoln. But, uh you know, Verducci, uh, a former offensive coordinator, uh, as a quality control guy, uh, a lot of, you know, guys that came along as GAs from UCF. I mean, I, I really, you know, I think continuity does matter, um, especially when you're trying to shift a culture. But, um, you know, I, I think people do kind of look at age sometimes of coaches and, you know, make assumptions of, you know, what that background is based on a guy's age. Yeah. And, you know, Chenander, D coordinator, like we, we always say about Frost coaching on both sides of the ball. Chenander's done that. You know, he spent time on the offensive side of the ball. You're talking about interesting resumes. Greg Austin has an interesting resume. I mean, he, he got some time with Chip Kelly, and that was kind of where he grew up through Chip Kelly. But he followed Chip Kelly to the Eagles. And I, I think that's a pretty important thing. A guy, he knows what it's like to try to relate to college kids, but he also knows – He's, he's experienced trying to coach grown men who are 30 years old and trying to get points across to those guys. I think all those experiences have to pay dividends. I, I was looking you at look you. like you were going to speak. Were you no. yawning? No. You have something just... to say? Were you yawning at my point and thinking about or thinking about I mean, bread songs? I don't think Christopherson said anything that was particularly yawning. There was nothing. I, I just took a deep breath. That's all. Wasn't going to say anything. You're thinking about your favorite bread songs. <laughs> I was just looking them up to see if I knew any. I, I don't. I'm going to have to listen to some bread because no I'm so out of my element here. Find a little bread while he's... All right, well, I mean, we'll, we'll stick with football before we jump to the, the two-minute hoops segment, uh, which could be extended because they're they're interesting. They're frisky. They're, they are frisky. It's getting beyond but two minutes worth. They're, they're yeah. not... And I say this as someone who... Wait, are we going to hoops now? <laughs> no, we're, we're not going there yet. You sounded like you were going there. Yeah, you you're ready well, no, to jump I in the pool we'll and now you're backing football up. Football for now, and then we'll get into hoops. And then I said it could go more than two minutes. Okay. I don't need to rehash all of this. People listening are going to be annoyed. Way to go, brunch. You're just screwing <laughs> if, this. If they made it this up. far after the first seven minutes of the podcast, may God bless them. I thought those were seven great minutes, but anyway, <laughs> where were you, I, I thought they were where were you going? Just go there for the love of I'm God. Go there. To. Jeez, you're the one yawning and throwing the whole segment off. All right, so they've got a lot of visitors coming in this week. Thank you. Which is where I was trying to get, but I've been rudely interrupted. Hopefully, Brunson doesn't yawn while you talk about it. So (laughs) (laughs) they have, we'll call it ten official visitors that we have slated right now uh, coming in this weekend that we we have down at Nebraska.247sports.com. 
I will read the names off to you. Uh, we don't have to go through every single one of them, but I think some of these guys are very interesting players. Uh, to start with, one of the visitors will be Breon Dixon, a Ole Miss defender that could be looking to transfer to Nebraska, could take his visit and enroll all in the same uh, few-day stretch here at the end of the week. I think things are looking good there. Dixon uh, would have four seasons or four years to complete three seasons of eligibility. Played a little bit as a true freshman. He would have to see what would happen with Shea Patterson and everything that's decided there between the NCAA and if players from Ole Miss can transfer without having to sit out a year. Moving on from him, the other guys, the actual recruits, I'm just going to run through these pretty fast. Uh, We can jump back into any of them. You have Jarrett Bell, an offensive lineman from California. You have Daniel Carson, Kansas City suburban defensive end. Javante Jean-Baptiste, an outside linebacker. Maurice Washington, the Under Armour All-American MVP at running back. Braxton Clark, a cornerback out of Dr. Phillips High School right there in Orlando. Matthew Tago, who Brunt loves his film, probably wouldn't yawn when he watches that. Uh, the quarterback athlete out of Courts Hill, uh, Tyon Palmer, a defensive back from Georgia, Miles Jones, an offensive athlete from Florida, Mike Williams, a wide receiver from East Mississippi Community College. Which of those guys do you want to discuss? Who stands out to you? And that is a very impressive list. For the first weekend in January for a transition class, they have... Somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five guys that are four-star high, or not higher, four-star rankings. It's pretty good. Who, who's the most impressive to you? I, have, you just took my question and threw it back at me instead yeah, of just answering it. Caught it and hitting it right back at you. Mine would be Daniel Carson, but that's just me. That's just um, you, huh? No, I mean I think that out of this group. I mean, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and, and not just because he picked up the Ohio State and Texas A&M offers earlier this week, I really do think that he's a priority target for Nebraska. I think that they have an angle that they can play. I mean, they've been recruiting him. This staff has been recruiting him longer than any of the other teams that are involved in his recruitment, save for Boston College. And I don't think he's going to end up at Boston College, even though that's where guys go to be duped. That's where they go. But – I think that what they can do with Javante Jean-Baptiste this weekend is basically really hammer home the idea that they saw him early, that he knows the staff, that he's very familiar with Scott Frost, and he's familiar with those coaches. They've been recruiting him for a while. They have a plan for him. And he gets the opportunity at a place like Nebraska to play early and to be a key piece and to be, a, you know, really, in all honesty, what they want him to be is, is somebody like Shaquem Griffin that can just be disruptive and make plays in space Come after quarterbacks that you have to absolutely game plan for. I mean, you're talking about a six foot five, two hundred and fifteen pound linebacker that is very fast and can absolutely play in space. Has a wingspan of much higher than six foot five to begin with. I mean, so they're they're very excited about this guy, and their angle has to be really hitting on those things because Ohio State's going to get their crack next week. He's already pretty heavily interested in Virginia Tech. And Texas A&M could get the final visit um, before it's all said and done. And those are all schools that have things to sell. And this is, you know, really one of the first major recruiting battles Scott Frost is going to find himself in. And so he's going to have to research and find that angle and figure out what it is that John Baptiste wants to hear and what it is that can, Nebraska can use to separate themselves. And I think their coaching staff relationship is one. And I think the opportunity for him to play early would be two. Mike Williams interests me, not just the individual part of it, but just the general storyline of just beefing up that wide receiver room the way they are and just how different it's going to look compared to what we knew the previous year. And, you know, I think Nebraska's got a really good chance with him. He's also – that's – let's see. Is that the one that's on last uh, chance you – is that the JUCO or is that a different one? Oh, that, that's the same one. They yeah. they've moved on to Kansas now, but um, yeah, the first two seasons, yeah, yeah. he wasn't on it, but yeah. Um, I I just you know they already got Jerron Woodyard um, as a JUCO guy, and I that continues 
in my opinion, to be one of the biggest storylines of this entire recruiting class when it's all said and done is, you know, not being afraid to go find guys that can, they think, immediately help them. In Williams would be their fifth. Yeah. And, and he would be the one where they've turned over the most rocks to find, too, because he's a little bit off the beaten path. He's 5'10", 180. UCLA and Tennessee and I don't, Western Kentucky. I mean, I don't know, I don't know much about him. I just know Nebraska's got a good shot at it, and I'm, I, I'm just interested in how the, kind of this, this Juco path they, they're going to hit on and they're going to keep hitting on, I think, with Ryan Held. Ryan Held – you know, you have to kind of trust him as somebody who's been in that world as long as he has, that he knows what he's looking for. He knows the type of kids probably where he can look at a kid and say, that's a kid that maybe can't make that move from Juco to here and survive. This kid, though, maybe has it. And I, I think you got to trust a lot of his background knowledge in that world here and, and hope that it's right. Daniel Carson, you mentioned? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think just based on his – the length of time that he's kind of been involved with Nebraska over two different staffs. I think that helps. Um, I mean, seeing him in person uh, at a Friday night lights camp where he wasn't working out, just hanging out with uh, current Nebraska players. And I think Mike, you remember this, that basically if you would have walked up to that group and tried to guess who the high school player and who the college player was, uh, Looks like it would have been, you know, pretty tough to. It would have been tough to do. Basically. Yeah, he's. This sounds ridiculous to say. He's spectacularly built. I mean, he's just, he looked. He's bigger than the Davis twins, and he looked the part when he's standing there uh, next to Freedom, who's no slouch himself. I mean, he's a big dude at six four, you know, two sixty five, two seventy, and there's Daniel Carson, a high school kid who's a little bit taller and a little leaner. But you can see the definition. I mean, absolutely. The the other guy that you know was kind of curious, not an official visitor, Cameron Jones coming back um, as as an unofficial visitor. Obviously, a good sign when a guy is coming along. He's coming along with a high school teammate who has a walk on offer from Nebraska. But uh, the fact that he's coming to Lincoln and not going to Oxford or anywhere else uh, as things kind of get going up again, uh, a good sign. Um, seems pretty active with Nebraska on social media. And uh, I know that, you know, Tate wildeman has been recruiting him pretty hard since their official visit back in December. Yeah. And, and I think that he's one of those guys you wish would be in the boat because I think he could help you. And it, it may be beneficial for Nebraska to have him here on a big weekend because I think he can help get other guys excited. I mean, he's a talkative kid. He likes to, to be around people, wants to be a politician someday. I mean, I, I think you know, if that's what you're striving to do, here's your, your opportunity to be persuasive. Go do it. Uh, so I, I really think that the coaching staff likes him a lot. Um, so to have him up back around is is certainly good. I mean, some of the other guys, and we don't have to go in-depth on them. I mean, Maurice Washington, if what the rumors are, not even so much rumors, if, if the conversation surrounding him is that Nebraska is in the pole position and – they basically have this opportunity this weekend, the coaching staff, to, to really finalize the trust that they've built with him, to really kind of hammer home, hey, look, we don't have anybody like you on our roster. You can line up in the slot. You can line up at running back. You can do a lot of different things. I mean, they love his versatility, and, and people saw it at the Under Armour All-American game against the other top players in the country. The guy can ball, and you need guys like that. So I, I think Maurice Washington's really important to him. Miles Jones is, is fun in the sense that when you're compared to one of the most interesting players on UCF's roster and Otis Anderson, a guy that had like 354 yards rushing and 411 yards receiving and, you know, seven total touchdowns. He was a thorn for, for Auburn to find him on the field a couple times in that game. He had a touchdown catch. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Miles Jones, there's a spot for him too. I mean, the amazing thing to me is that they're – they're running out of room while they're adding more and more quality targets. It it makes you, I think, if you're a Nebraska fan, you'll be pretty excited about what these guys could do with 2019 if they can keep that momentum, if they can keep their the name, the clout, every the excitement about Scott Frost and Nebraska and 
and all of that, if they can carry that over throughout a spring in which guys can now start taking early official visits, spring game could be looking real interesting in April. The the kind of conversation we had off off uh, off pod was about you know the what, Vikings. Well, there was a lot of that, um, <laughs> but you know how quickly Nebraska could have things kind of wrapped up in this class. And the interesting guy that's kind of still out there that Nebraska offered this week, Tyrone Sampson, who is an Army All-American center from Michigan, he's not going to be visiting until February 2nd. That's a guy who I think you would try to make room for if you have it. But, uh, you know, do you think it's kind of shaping up to where Nebraska could have a pretty quiet last couple weeks of official visits? I mean, if this weekend goes well and you've got – this many guys on campus you don't even have they have more guys coming to campus than they have spots available in their class i mean that's a good sign and then they're going to turn around they're going to have some offensive linemen in in next week and and some other people too absolutely i mean you could be at the case and not all of these are going to be public but they could get the the commitments that they could shut things down in terms of 2018 late in january you're not having anybody come in on that weekend of the second could work out pretty well uh, for Nebraska if that's the case. I don't. I mean, it, that's the, the dream scenario. I don't know if it always works that way. But the big thing also to remember about this period, and everybody always gets focused on the official visits and 2018 and all that. The great opportunity to get into high schools and to get in front of the the juniors and to talk with coaches and you know extend that excitement and enthusiasm about UCF and the dream season over to Nebraska and, and the coaches. I mean, you're down in Florida right now, and you're Scott Frost, and you can stop by some of those high schools down in whether it's the Orlando area or whether it's Fort Lauderdale or, you know, any of the other places. That's going to carry over too, and, and they're going to have to really work it. So it won't slow any in that regard, but they can have things done for 2018 and, and ease into signing day a little bit better than – what might have been considered when you think that you're going to have a whole new class. As I hear some of the names and see some of the names that they're looking at recruiting wise, and, and you just think about the big picture, I don't think we're, we've ever seen an overhaul like we're about to see on offense from one season to the next. And I mean, Stanley Morgan's a big dog that's coming back and JD Spielman. But once you get past a couple of those guys, we're going to see guys taking key snaps that weren't even here last year. Um, and Gates is gone. The whole O-line is going to be shook up. I, I, just, I, I, just, I just, We've seen coaching changes, and you think, oh, all this stuff's going to change, but then it's kind of the same cast of characters as the previous staff used. We even saw that with Riley. There was a lot of the same guys. And this, this feels so different to me. This feels like a new staff is coming in, and right off the bat – they are going to insert – there's going to be five or six guys out there on offense, I think, that are completely different. When you see a freshman quarterback against a freshman quarterback in the national championship game, it really kind of makes you think, one, I mean, they're getting the creme de la creme. Like, it's a little bit different when you're getting, you know, from and these guys that are top five quarterbacks – versus others but at the same time it it lets you know and you look at how many freshmen played for frost last year or i i I mean even this year i mean with an undefeated team they're not afraid to play young players and that to me was a a stigma for bo polini that he never was really able to get over he didn't like to play young guys he didn't like to play guys who hadn't quote put in the time riley talked about playing young players but never really fully committed to getting them as much time yeah. as I felt like they could have. I don't think that's going to be an issue with Scott Frost. I think we're going to – and well, and and you wrote about it a little bit today. The whole redshirt thing could really be interesting because you can get some guys some early playing time, figure out where they're at, and shut them down. So you're not going to have Avery Roberts who essentially wasted a year mm-hmm. doing nothing for you uh, or, or some of the other guys in recent memory because you didn't know whether you wanted a redshirt or not. Yeah, I you make good points there. I think one thing where Nebraska has not been forward thinking on is get is finding ways to get youth on the field and building through that. 
Um, it's always this, like, you got to fight your way through three or four rounds to get out there. And it hasn't mattered the coach, and there's been good intentions and reasons behind it. But I think sometimes, and I understand where it's tough. Like, if you're a coach and your your job is on the line of an 18-year-old going out there and producing, it's very difficult to pull the trigger. You can imagine as much talent as Tua has at Alabama, how difficult that is in a national title game at halftime to say, we're going away from the guy that started 25 games, and we're going to put this kid out there in this stage. And just let him go. Yeah. And – he did it, and I mean it worked out, and he got and Tua got lucky on a couple plays in that game. But um, you, I do think you have to be bold and take chances like that. And this is a good opportunity in year one to do this for Frost because they're coming off a four-win season. It's not like anybody's expecting them to win the division this year or anything like that. So let some guys grow on the scene, and and this is a year where you can get away with that probably more than most years at Nebraska. Is this maybe the first time in close to a decade where there isn't that expectation to win the division? Mm, let me think. I I I can't think of a year where I mean there's Cause even when Riley took over, you're talking about a team coming off of a yeah. 9-win season and that the Big Ten West was down and that they just needed a steady hand and a smarter coach. Yeah, and, and I don't with th- Bo, I mean, maybe you could argue 2008, but I still feel like going into that Missouri game, the expectation was Nebraska could still win the Big 12 North that year. No, I think you're right. I don't think it's been quite like this. I mean, I know the coaches are going to say that's, that's always the goal, and they should say that, and some fans will say that too. But let's be honest, it's, it's going to be really difficult. But that's where – it's great opportunity to play young guys, and that's why I think you've also viewed – I know people make a big deal about the road schedule and stuff, you know, going to Michigan, going to Ohio State, going to Wisconsin. I, I use the word opportunity with that now. You're not – it's not a year four coach whose job is on the line this season. It's a year one guy who it's just like let's see signs that this thing's going the right way, and, and part of that is letting youth get out there and show what they can do. The it's interesting when you look back at the some of the true freshmen that played last year, and I mean even before that, guys didn't really get you know run. I mean, Tyjon Lindsay had what eleven catches. I think he was targeted twenty one times. I was going back through the the numbers, just snap counts and things like that. I think Jalen Bradley played sixty seven snaps last year, something like that, for a running game that several games couldn't get over eight yards for their long rush. Yeah, and and it's. You know, you, you had Brendan Hymas play a lot of snaps, so I think he definitely got the value of, of playing right away. Avery Roberts certainly didn't. Um, you know, the, they're, it'll those guys are kind of starting anew as well. And I, going back to last, I mean, that's why Stanley Morgan coming back was so huge because everybody's saying, well, you got Tyjon Lindsay, but he really wasn't relied upon at all last year. I mean, they had some packages for him. He ran a few routes, but, um, you know, there, there really hasn't been – aside from Hymas, a guy that I could think of that you're like, okay, this guy is like ready to make the next step from his true freshman year to his sophomore season based on what he, what he did. It's going to be a fun year. I mean, you just, just fun watching some guys try to figure it out as they go. I mean, left tackle is going to be different. There's wide receiver. Some of these running backs, that's going to be completely different look. I think, you know, Jalen Bradley, I'm not kicking him to the curb at all. I think he's got a big chance to, to impress this staff, and I think he's the kind of guy this staff would have wanted all along to recruit. So, they wanted him at UCF. Yeah. So um, by no means am I saying they're moving on to these other guys, but when you've got a Greg Bell, and, I mean, let's say they add a Maurice Washington, that's that's a completely different-looking unit you've got out there. And uh, it it tells everybody your, your job – it doesn't matter if you've played in games more than other guys next to you. It's an even playing field when they step out and start spring ball. Absolutely. Well, should we jump into basketball? Anything else recruiting-wise we need to hit on? I don't think so. All right. Well, they uh, they played two games between our last podcast and now. Two. Nebraska went one and one. They lost the one that everybody thought they'd lose. They won the one that most people thought they'd win. Did they most didn't? people think that, though? I mean, they were – The Wisconsin game? They were a one-and-a-half-point one favorite tip. Should have hammered the hell out of that line. 
you you would have been sweating it as they were jacking up threes with 15 seconds left. I mean, that was a game where James I felt Palmer like stepping out of bounds. Every time Nebraska took a double digit lead, they took the foot off the gas and parked the car and took a nap. I mean, ever there, there were people on the board saying, "Yeah, that it should have been a 20 25 point win." Wisconsin like has a way of just making it ugly. Like that was a total rock fight. They they had no offense outside of Ethan Happ. There were guys, you know, taking charges, stiff breeze, knocking players down, flopping. Left and right. There was just a all around, just ugly game. And I, I feel like a four point win was probably pretty appropriate for that one, especially given the score. But I mean, it, it's it just kind of shows you, I guess, this year in the Big Ten how what the opportunity is for Nebraska when you've got Wisconsin down, Rutgers is better, Northwestern's not going to make it back to the tournament and have their Big Ten special with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Greeny and whoever else uh, graduated from Northwestern. Uh, Darren Ravel, is he probably in yeah, that as well? Michael Wilbon, I think. Yeah. Uh, is it fair if I say I sense a little just resentment towards Northwestern from you? Not at all. I'm, like a, you, I'm a big Pat Fitzgerald guy. You know that. Well, yeah, but at least in terms of basketball, you scoff a little at them. You scoff a lot at the Medill graduates. <laughs> it's. I, I feel like there's a little bit there that maybe maybe Michael Brunts isn't the biggest fan of the Northwestern storyline. I just don't like how, Yeah, I mean, yes, Northwestern making the tournament was a very big story. That's, you know, that's fine. But... You don't see the BTN like tripping over itself to make a one-hour special if like Penn State makes it to the tournament this year, which they could, or the magical run of Purdue to the Sweet 16, where they ultimately lose to a a team that can shoot from the outside. You're just not going to have it. So, so the Chicago politics of it is that a little it, bit. It's it's what bothers me about the Big Ten, and I understand that Nebraska is still the the new kid in town, but. It, it just feels like the Big Ten has its darlings, and they always bend over backwards for Northwestern, especially. Yeah, there's that's a lot. A, there's a lot of. I good think that's stuff. fair. There's a lot of good stuff BTN does, but if you can't recognize that they just like are giddy when Northwestern is on a roll, I, your eyes aren't open. <laughs> yeah, like when they open that new Lakeside facility yeah. officially, it's going to be like nonstop, like just tours through that thing. You're going to have. Mike Hall eating campus eats in the middle just of it. Lose his mind. Yeah, like it, it's it's gonna happen. You know it's gonna happen, and that's fun. Like I have no issues whatsoever with Northwestern. Probably my favorite Big Ten road trip there is. But just tone it back a little on the basketball program is all I gotta say. I'm glad I asked that question. I knew there was something there. Mm-hmm. I picked that scab a little bit. Uh, but. It's interesting because you've got Nebraska playing. They're four games in a nine or ten day stretch. Go to Penn State. You've got, I believe, Illinois coming in here uh, the following Monday. So quick turnarounds, but also an opportunity to build a few wins here before you get into a stretch that I believe is Michigan. I think Ohio State's Michigan, in there. Michigan, Ohio State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, three on the road. Yeah. That, Michigan that, Is Michigan home? It yep. is. And then the next three are on the road so, over an eight-day stretch. So at Penn State, Illinois home, Michigan home. They need to go 2-1 and one in that stretch. Yeah. How do you they, feel about that? They are, uh, let's see, Penn State, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, at Ohio State, at Rutgers. And then they return home to host uh, Fran McCaffrey and the fight in Iowa Hawkeyes. We, so, oh, yeah, that's right. I had Wisconsin, not Iowa in there. So – that they need to, yeah, I think you're right. I think they need to be sitting five and three in league heading to Ohio State. Yeah, and that Ohio State game, interestingly enough, so it'd be two and one over the next. Yeah, look at that math. That's right. Proud Nebraska graduate. <laughs> Take yeah. that. That Northwestern grad would have stumbled on yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I, I it, after that, I mean, it clears up. I mean, you go to Wisconsin and, and you, you're at Minnesota, and then you've got that final stretch of five very winnable games, four of them at home. So, be interesting. But you need, if you're Nebraska, you need to hope that Ohio State continues to win, because that's probably your last chance during the regular season for what you would consider a, a marquee win or a, a notable win. 
If they if they keep playing well, they're fourteen and four. They just now. took Purdue down to the last possession. I was actually I know Wisconsin's not very good this year, but I was impressed with that win yesterday because, um, and I know Miles didn't think they played well, but that was why I was impressed with it. They didn't. They played like a C game against Wisconsin, and it was like you said a rock fight. And I think Wisconsin with this particular team is one of those that almost like make can make you fall asleep at the wheel. It felt like that at times, like Nebraska get ahead, and then it's like they're just nodding off, you know, like this is the – you just want to end that game and move past it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that I, – I kept thinking they were going to lose that game. I really did. With like 10 minutes to go, I was like, this is the type of game where Nebraska lets Wisconsin get it down to three or four with the under four timeout, and then it just – something bad happens. You know, Wisconsin guy hits a big three, you leave a guy open, and, and – that's yeah. Nebraska basketball. It felt like one of those games everybody would tweet out after, like, oh, that's Husker hoops, you know, and yeah, all that. And it, they didn't let it happen. Well, and they did it, too, with Glenn Watson and Evan Taylor basically not scoring until there was, what, like 90 seconds left? Yeah, I think Watson Gl- didn't have a point. Yeah, so. like you, you have your third best offensive player probably go play his worst game of the season, and you still beat a Wisconsin team that – you know, it's decent enough to, to beat you if you're you're not careful. So, you just don't know what you're going to get out of Glenn. No, I mean, and then you had the thing. I'll be curious to see is if they do anything differently, where they start playing them off the ball more or mm-hmm. try to get him looks early, because it feels like when he's looking for a shot right from the get go, he's usually more involved offensively. He's a little bit more dangerous in transition. And they just haven't – it seems like they've been trying to establish Jordy so much at the start of yeah. games that you're kind of almost doing it to the detriment of, of Glenn a little bit. Jordy gave him a good second half for him, though. I mean, that was – that's what Jordy had to do. You had to because Hap was getting downhill way too easily against mm-hmm. Roby in that small lineup. So it was one of those where you did need to kind of get physical, which, I mean, that's a good sign for him based on how he's played. Well, and, I mean, we saw very early in the game, if you get too physical with Wisconsin, they will just fly across the arena on some of those. That guy, if you – the one on, on Jordy in particular that was inside the uh, the half circle to begin with, the guy started falling down before Jordy had touched him. Yeah. This is impressive. I mean, just the motion of his shoulders was so strong it knocked the Wisconsin player down. It's funny, there was a, a rare double charge last night I saw where you had two Wisconsin players trying to take a charge at the same time. In, in was the that lane. on the three-point play? Uh, I believe so, yes. Where the ball just bounced to Roby yeah. and he kicked it out to... Yeah. So stupid. It's like, And then there was the, the charge call on Glenn where he you know, maybe made contact with the Wisconsin defender who... Just like went flying through the air like he was in the Matrix. Did you enjoy Evan Taylor getting the classic Lance Jeter charge? Are you familiar with the Lance Jeter charge? No. It was before you would have moved back to Nebraska, I think. Lance Jeter, Nebraska point guard in like 2011. Notorious for getting like long rebounds or outlet passes. Lance Jeter's a bigger guy playing point guard. Always took it to the hoop. Was never pulling out. Always got called for charges just because it was such a violent collision, which is exactly what Evan Taylor was called for on like an outlet pass to him. It was, it was just like seeing an old friend. I felt comforted <laughs> seeing that call. I was like, oh, I've seen about 30 of those. Normally it's Lance Jeter going through the lane. He'd always make the layup. It'd always get washed away. And the Devaney, all 8,000 of us, would, would wonder about that call. <laughs> and, and a little bit of trivia from that game as well, speaking of foul calls. Uh, apparently that was Greg Gard's first technical foul wow. in his time at Wisconsin. So you were there, or at least saw it. That dude did get bumped. I thought he had a case. Yeah. I think the ref ran into him. Did he say anything? He got or... the technical for going on to the Was court. that what it was? Yeah. yeah, okay. And there was also there was also this weird moment at the, at the end of the game where Glenn gets fouled as Nebraska's trying to salt the game at the free throw line. They go down to the other end for Nebraska to shoot the free throws, and they send Evan Taylor to the line. Taylor dribbles the ball once. They realize the mistake, so he just shoots it at the at the hoop. But the refs were standing in the lane a little bit too, and 
but but there was like he got like this really weird like stare down from from Tom Eads. Like it, he, <laughs> and I was I was sitting there watching the whole thing, and I'm like, he's gonna get teed up, and they're gonna lose this game. <laughs> So you weren't the only one that was thinking that, but I, I, w- I was thinking like that would be probably the most random way that you could get you you could drop a loss as if a yeah. tee off of something stupid like that. There's just so many people in this state who've been watching Husker Hoop since it was back on Raycom. <laughs> yeah, the Studio 66 halftime show with, with Doug Bell or whatever his name mm-hmm. was, and you're just so you're always like expecting some Nebraska basketball moment from 19. 19- 89 to pop up and beat them again but it didn't last night yeah, so they, they held them off and they're three <laughs> and two in conference all right so what do you think on penn state illinois both of those games will be played by the next podcast you think two and oh one and one oh and two i think nebraska goes two and oh in that stretch right one one i'll say they lose friday Fr- that's that's my raycom husker basketball f- vibe feeling like the friday night game it'll be down by like 15 and with eight minutes left and try to make a late charge. It's a Friday night game in State College feels ripe for like a 51-47 final score. If you thought Tuesday was ugly, there's no way this Friday game won't be uglier. These two teams meet in Penn State. It's just the worst basketball that's ever been played, including the year Nebraska made the tournament under Miles. was a game that uh, I can't even remember the name of the player. He got kicked off the team that same year. Deverell Biggs. Yeah. He had the travel at half court. Like, it's just the stupidest series of uh, happenings resulted in that loss. I mean, it was just a terrible game. I want to say it was like 53-51 was the final. They played in the tournament last year, and it was a terrible game. I mean, they're just attracted to each other and playing terrible games. So, uh, I think Nebraska goes 2-0, and but I think it's going to be bad basketball, both contests. But I think that's an identity Nebraska can build around this year. <laughs> They're going to be the bad basketball playing team that makes the tournament that's actually pretty decent. Put it on a bumper sticker. <laughs> T-shirt. Exactly like that. <laughs> bad basketball playing team that's actually pretty decent. I'd buy one. All right. Well, I sold one. That's pretty good. So anything else we want to get in here? Should we make predictions on the Vikings this weekend? Let's you do, do it. That? Let's do it. Team of destiny. You can start. I mean, I think Minnesota's going to win. Uh, I was told before we started recording this podcast that it's not like the lock of the century, was it, according to CBS Sportsline, but pretty close. Uh, I definitely didn't say lock of the century. I said that the guy who has been the it's best like, NFL prognosticator really liked the Vikings. It's, it's like a Truman-Dewey situation. And that's a four-point line. Uh, I will say that Minnesota will be victorious i think they finally make a field goal late to secure the win i'm going to say minnesota 24 21 brian you almost took my score i i have vikings 23 saints 20 and i think i just don't want you to text me at all during the game or anything i I just need to lay low okay you'll see some bad it's a bad side of me, I think, if you are trying to exchange conversation <laughs> with me during that game. Does that go for me, too? or just You can do it because you're like in the club. Because I... here's the thing. I'm probably not going to text you either because <laughs> I don't like to talk during games yeah. as it is. I like to tweet, yeah. but that's about it. Uh, I like Nebraska 31-17. Nebraska. 17. Nebraska. Oh, wow. <laughs> Minnesota. I, can't, I don't even know what's going on. I like the Vikings 31-17, uh, and that includes a late – Meaningless touchdown from Drew Brees just to get to that 17. Wow. spanking there. Yeah. I like them this weekend. I'm confident. I feel good. They're a good team. Right. I just had to keep telling myself it'll be true eventually. Well, for significantly less Viking stock potentially, or potentially more Viking stock mm-hmm. next week, uh, you can always catch the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. comes out midweek. You can get all of our stuff, and it's going to be a very big visit weekend. And... While we were talking today, Steve Wilpong just posted a VIP update about Nebraska's run-up to signing day, including key targets, ones that he feels Nebraska can get, other targets that they'll be going after, and more notable names. All of this can be found where, Brunts? At Nebraska247sports.com. 
You missed the first dot. Nebraska dot. There you go. You're not even used 20, to doing it. Nebraska 24-7. There you go. That works, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, use one of those URLs. You'll get there. Just type in Nebraska 24-7 if you get lost. It'll take you right to our site. <laughs>